0: This Wellness Couch podcast is brought to you by The Wellness... Reto, for crying out loud, don't tell them all of our secrets. There's a very special announcement coming up, folks. Go to the Facebook page, go to Instagram at The Wellness Couch, or better yet, go to thewellnesscouch.com, enter your email address to sign up for the very special announcement, which is coming. Ah, you're killing me, Marcus. Thewellnesscouch.com. If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, share The Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread The Real Food Love.
1: In today's episode of The Real Food Reel, we are joined by Simon Marshall and Leslie Patterson. Their book, The Brave Athlete, solves the 13 most common mental conundrums that athletes face in their everyday training and racing. In today's episode, we discuss what it means to be a brave athlete, how you can stop the thoughts and feelings you don't want, the benefits of developing an alter ego, and so much more. A language warning on today's episode, so please tune out now if you have sensitive ears. Let's welcome Simon and Leslie to the show. Hi, how's it going?
0: Thanks for having us, Deb.
1: Really looking forward to chatting with you guys. So I'd love for you to both introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell us more about, you know, your history and what you're up to these days?
2: Certainly. So um, I'll, I'll start first because, of course, the wifey always gets to go first. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I am a three-time world champion athlete in off-road triathlon known as Xterra. Uh, so I like the crazy, dirty stuff, um, but but my background um, has been kind of long and, and interesting to get there. Um, I started off uh, athletically as a rugby player, um, so I played uh, in an all all boys team actually, 250 boys and me uh, when I was about seven years old, um, and that was my first foray into competitive sport. And then uh, when I could no longer play with the boys at the age of 12, you know, because all the bits were were growing in different places. Um I got into the sport of triathlon, and um yeah, quickly kind of rose up uh, and in fact trained a bunch in Australia uh with lots of Australian coaches as I was growing up, but uh, had big aspirations to go to the Olympics, but wasn 't good enough uh, in that format of the racing, and uh, got very disillusioned and uh, gave up when I was about twenty uh, met my wonderful hubby, Simon, who you'll hear hear about in a minute and um yeah, he's he's a sports psychologist, so I met him and gave the sport up because that's... <laughs> I'm, not,
0: I'm not crap. that crap. He's that crap.
2: And uh, yeah, went back and studied acting and drama and kind of basically got to know myself as a person and what I, I, I enjoyed, what I loved, and came back to the sport of triathlon by way of Xterra, which is pretty much rugby plus triathlon equals Xterra. And kind of went on this uh, uh, next journey uh, in my sport and discovered a lot about how to approach it in a different way and how to go on my journey and how to find my successes and and kind of use and sports psychology to help me get there. So... Uh, ultimately, that's kind of how we created our, our coaching business and, you know, wrote our, our book and whatnot. But I'll let Si fill yeah, you yeah, in on his yeah. background.
0: So so I'm Simon, married to Leslie of now 15 years. Can you believe it? So 15 years. And um, I'm English. Leslie's Scottish, you probably tell. And Leslie was one of the few gals that came down from Scotland to do her degree in England, where I was finishing my Ph.D. in sports psychology. So my background's in sports science. I think much like you, uh, Steph. So you study exercise physiology, a little bit of nutrition, biomechanics, and psych. And then I gradually started to specialise in psychology. I did a master's degree in kinesiology uh, with a specialism in sports psychology, and then a PhD in sports psychology. And then went on to a postdoctoral fellowship in behavioural science. And then we moved to the U.S. I got a professorship out in California in exercise science where I taught, uh, you know, research methods, statistics, kinesiology and was the director of the sports psychology program before moving on to an adjacent university in the same in the same city called University of California, San Diego, where. I was a professor of behavioral medicine in the School of Medicine for for a number of years before quitting all of that two years ago to focus on our little enterprise we have now, which is really focusing on helping um, athletes have more thoughts and feelings that they want and fewer thoughts and feelings that they don't want so they can be happier and more confident and and not get in their own way.
1: I love that. And you guys obviously have a great business partnership. And from what I've seen so far, you're doing some amazing things to help athletes with, you know, your personal experience, but also the clinical science that you include. So tell us more about the Brave Athlete and I'll hand it over to you guys to do the swearing.
0: Nah, <laughs> are yeah. we allowed to swear? You on are. You?
1: Please can't. do. Please go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank fuck for that.
2: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> So the title is called The Brave Athlete, Can the Fuck Down and Rise to the Occasion. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, the genesis of the book was obviously um, sort of my I- experiential knowledge combined with si- uh, size background sort of in, in, in sports psychology.
0: Um, but I think one one thing that really started the book was when we met, you know, Leslie had reti- was retiring from the sport and I was getting a bit disillusioned with the field of sports psychology because, you know, it you, you're taught or you were taught then through primarily through academic textbooks. And a lot of the stuff I was being taught just didn't really work with real humans. <laughs> you know, it was sort of very um, formulaic or just overly sort of theoretical. And, and a lot of the stuff the athletes weren't really connecting with. And, I, and I, so I got a bit disillusioned. And what happened in our relationship is that we started to talk about, what it takes to be a, the best athlete that you can be and in combination with leslie's experiences of how she was treated as a young athlete and this is when you know a lot of uh, coaches uh, were big, were exercise physiologists and sports science bean counters that they really had very little bedside manner or they didn't really know how to to talk or certainly didn't have really good skills of empathy but they weren't able to know how to bring out potential that beyond the sort of quantifiable uh, data driven uh, models that they currently use and so we started talking and and I, and, I, and my approach was also that there was something that I'm still find that's missing and by marrying an athlete and marrying a professional athlete which is one of the best things any sports psychologist can do I highly recommend it <laughs> um, uh, It's
2: lying yeah
0: is yeah apart from the fucking crazy nutbag, that's most of the time um is uh, <laughs> you get to you get to peek behind the curtain right of what it's actually like uh, and all the things that you you know when you when you talk to athletes and they tell you one thing and they're not sure whether they're actually buying it uh, and they are may or may not be doing the exercises that you've had them do when you when you live with a professional athlete full time you get to you get to go on this journey with them this psychological and emotional journey and that really makes you a lot more sensitive to the to the stuff that or why the stuff that you've been doing in the past doesn't work and what other things might work and so it's really the merging of those two experiences in our book and we were really keen to not write a book where very uh, similar to other sports psychology books and a lot of them if you don't if you're not familiar with this kind of area mental training in general it's sort of they're very technique focused so there's books on stress management or there's books on imagery for athletes and so on and and athletes that we coach never really come to you with those sorts of problems they don't come to you and say you know i need more i need to cope Uh, I need to have better stress management skills to run a half marathon. They say things like I need to harden the fuck up or I just feel fat. A lot of days, or, you know, um, I, 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 just, I just don't feel like an athlete, or oh, I don't feel like a real athlete. I'm just, a, you know, insert their kind of story there. So we were trying to meet athletes where they were at currently. And so what we did is we, 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 we sat down and we said, What are the most common psychological um, conundrums that athletes tell us that they face? And we wrote the chapter headings exactly how these issues appear in athletes' heads. So I think and that was and we tried to sort of insert a little bit of irreverent humor into this as well. And, and I think that's been the thing that resonates most with athletes is kind of one of the first books we we're biased, obviously. But we think that really is kind of meeting the athlete for where they're at. And it's not sort of laden down by too much sort of psychobabble, but it's still grounded in good science.
2: And, and certainly what we find is a lot of athletes and I'm reaching out to us and just seeing the impact that the book has had on other areas of their lives you know in business and family life all that kind of good stuff because ultimately when it comes to to coaching you have to know the whole person uh, you can't just coach in isolation you know through a data point um, and that's what I experienced as a youngster and it certainly didn't work for me um, so yeah yeah.
0: So, and so our, our like our entry point I'll ask you this question because you you know you're an athlete too and a business owner um, is that we ask athletes to say do you have thoughts and feelings that you don't want. And mo- most people say, well, those that say they don't, are lying or they're on drugs, but most people, if they're honest, they say, yes, I do. And and, the, and and this isn't necessarily just about sport. It might be that, you know, you work in an environment where you have to manage a team and you don't feel comfortable managing teams or you have to talk a lot in public and you don't like talking in public or those sorts of things, or you, you really are not assertive when it comes to asking for a pay raise or a new job description or what have you. But athletes experience it, particularly triathletes, um, in the sense that they say things to us like, I need to harden the fuck up, or I just, you know, I, I race and I enjoy it, but I just, the, the, the few days and the morning of a race, I just, why do I do this to myself? I just feel, you know, I feel nauseous, and why am I doing this, and it hurts, and then I go on this kind of cycle, and some people are really paralyzed by chronic fear or anxiety and and what our approach is to say well lesson the first port of call is to is to help you understand why you have some of those thoughts and feelings what the neuro the neuroscience uh, can explain a lot about why we have some of these experiences and but that's also the key for how we can start to intervene and manage that before we can move on to becoming faster
1: yeah I think it's a really important conversation to have because most people probably as you guys would be very aware um, aren 't yet aware that they 're actually in c- control of those thoughts right
0: that's exactly right in fact, most of us um, and if you believe some of the science scientific studies is that when you look at how people make decisions, approximately eighty percent of the time they 're based on emo- they 're emotion based rather than rational based And that gives us a little clue about what sorts of things are powerful influences in how people decide to do things, whether it's, you know, adopting a healthy lifestyle, changing their diet, you know, attacking things that they scare them or trying challenges that put them out of the comfort zone and so on. So. But but really, you've been sold a, a bit of a turd there because your brain is trying to trick you because many of the consequences that deep down you're, you're frightened of or fearful of are either extremely irrational or if they do come true, the world still turns and nothing really happens. It's not like that you're going to die and your brain, unfo- parts of your brain, unfortunately, are wired to believe, to have you convinced that your life is actually in danger. Uh, because those parts of our, the brain that's doing the, the thinking for you at that point are, you know, quite a few million years old and they haven't really developed uh, for, for modern life in the suburbs where the fear, you know, is a bit like a nipple tweak versus, a you know, a catastrophic being eaten by a tiger.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. And I wanted you to talk about um, a part of the book where you speak about the fact that we don't actually have one brain, but three. <laughs> so could you guys speak to that for me?
0: Yeah, and I'll let Leslie talk uh, about you know what that feels like in 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 real athlete world. But essentially, you know, in a nutshell, that your brains evolved over millions of years, and the part right in the centre is called the limbic system, and it and it houses things that many uh, structures that many of us have, might have heard of, like the hippocampus and the amygdala, and and it's the oldest part of our brain, and it's and it's emotion central, it's reactive. Uh, It thinks catastrophically and it's paranoid and its goal in life is to keep you alive. And we call that a chimp because, in fact, we don't just call that a chimp. Another, The person who coined this is a fantastic book called The Chimp Paradox by a guy called Dr. Steve Peters. It's a fantastic read. And and, and what the chimp analogy is, metaphor, is that, listen, you've got this part of you that from millions of years ago has developed – and, and will uh, ultimately is trying to keep you alive. So it's trying to stop you either putting yourselves in situations that are physically threatening or more recently, psychologically threatening. And the three most common things that it's, it will shit the bed at, if you ever uh, tease it that you are going to be in these situations are the opportunity for you to be humiliated, feel inadequate or embarrassed. And those things from an evolutionary perspective were were actually life threatening because if you it often meant you became isolated from your tribe you had to forage for food on your own and defend and and it often did mean death eventually but but nowadays it really doesn't uh, and so this part of our brain is was was given these kind of special powers to make sure that you always listen to it and one of those special powers was that it, it processes information, sensory information from your ears and your eyes five times quicker than the rest of your brain. And what that means is that before you've even had a, a chance to consciously think about what you're looking at or what you're noticing, you've already, there's already a reaction going on, a whole host of sort of neural, neurochemical reactions are happening in the brain and in the adrenal glands and, the, and so on to really trigger the fight or flight response. And so uh, there's not really much we can do about that. And, and for good reason, right? It's preparing us to, to, to fight up, potentially fight our way out to, into survival. And the other thing that it's been given, the chemical weapon, is that, that when it detects a threat and this, this chemical cascade is is now underway, is that it throws a chemical brick at the rational thinking part of your brain, what we call the professor, and and about 30 neurotransmitters are released to make sure that you can't think your way out rationally out of a life-threatening uh, a situation, And and again, that's for good reason, too. You don't want to go up to someone and think, well, is that a gun in their hand? Or it could be a pen. Let's go and find out what I'm actually seeing. And it can't, you need to feel, you know, as though you need to get out of there very quickly. And most of our mental anguish, whether as an athlete or as, as any other sphere of life, comes from the chimp brain hijacking the rest of our head. Uh, so that uh, it's stopping us making rational decisions that help us enjoy routine things or the rather dull experience of just swimming biking and running and, and the professor brain the wrinkly cortex rational part is always trying to talk you off the ledge by saying listen it's just the triathlon you need not worry this this isn't going to happen but because that chimp brain is five times quicker and five times stronger. It's a battle that you can never really win if you just try and arm wrestle it. And that, that, at its essence, is really what we're trying to help athletes do, is manage that relationship so that we can get our chimp back in its little cage and fall asleep while we can get on with the kind of rather mundane things that, that, aren't, that aren't actually seen actually as catastrophic and emotionally humiliating. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love that analogy. I I think that's fascinating. Um, Leslie, you were going to speak to that about your own kind of personal experience with maybe your racing.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. So uh, we call it the chimp talk. Uh, you know, ultimately, everyone has their brand of crazy chimp talk. Um, so to put it in perspective, you know, mine would be things like, I don't belong here. I'm not good enough. Why are you even standing on the start line? Everyone expects you to win, but you're not fit. Look at, you know, your legs. They're fat in that suit. You've got that roll of fat. You shouldn't eat chocolate last night. On and on and on. So, you know, and, and again, everyone everyone's brand of of chimp crazy is, is slightly different so and and you know we, we we work through different techniques about about how to sort of manage that essentially and, and manage that fight between the professor and the chimp
1: yeah I think that's a really important part and we'll speak about that in a moment but what about your experience with um the fact that everyone that's got a chimp brain thinks they're the only one is that yeah. your wealth
2: yeah totally man mm. it's crazy I think that's been one of the biggest aha moments about both this book and then when we've done, you know, we've been doing a book tour, so we've been doing a lot of different talks, is that when we explain to people that, listen, it's perfectly normal that you have these thoughts and feelings, it's perfectly normal that you have this inner, you know, dialogue, conversation, fight. Um, Like, here's mine, for example, and then everyone's, oh, my God, you're so right. Oh, this makes me feel so much better and da-da-da. And often it's just, you know, having the knowledge is, is, is as much of the solution as the solution itself. Um, and, and that's what I find as an athlete, because I was coming home from training and workouts and races and really talking to Sai about how I felt, what was going on, what I was doing to combat that. And he was like, well, oh, that's really interesting. That happens because of this, and you're probably doing that because of that. And so he would kind of educate me and it would just, you know, really enhance what I was already doing.
0: And I think one, one example of this is, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, it's called the imposter syndrome. And
2: yeah,
0: I
1: have. Mm. Yeah, the
0: imposter syndrome is is a pain in the ass. Uh, the imposter syndrome is, you know, this fundamental belief that we have that sooner or later we're going to be discovered for the fraud that we actually are. You know, we've managed to get this far. No one has actually found out that we actually partly don't know what we're doing. We're winging it far more of the time than we care to admit. And when we, and this is independent of your actual skill level, and it's a pretty pervasive and common experience and when they started studying it uh, um, it started off as intellectual imposterism um, but it's now moved into a whole the research has moved into whole other areas of life as well uh, we we found that it was about three times more common among women than it was men but since the research has shown that that's not actually true at all it's just that men were less likely to admit it and so now we know that it's about 80 percent of us have some of the some of these thoughts and so, and 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 you know women or uh, regardless of gender so so we know that it's a a fairly pervasive mindset and it again it doesn't and it serves a purpose if so many people experience it it must have some evolutionary function and it does it it keeps us you know, uh, uh, striving to improve and never to kind of rest on our laurels and so on. Uh, but when you look around, people, and you look around a start line of a race, or even if you look around a conference or wherever you happen to be, you look around and there's a sense of you know you size yourself up against other people. That's another natural thing for every human brain to do. And and the conclusion, often at least for eighty percent of us, is that you see people who just look smarter, more talented, more attractive, leaner, fitter than you. You. And that starts to, you know, feed into this thing that you don't actually belong there, or you're weighing over your head. And we know that confidence is a huge sort of inoculation against that. So, you know, one of the best things that you can do as an athlete is just focus on building your confidence because it makes a lot of these things recede away—not to nil, but it does lessen them. But if you had, if you were to walk around a conference or a or, or a start line, and you saw little thought bubbles above people's heads. You'd be amazed at how similar the things that were going on in their head were to yours. And and we've had first-hand experience of this both in as coaches, but also in consulting. So I work, I'm the team uh, performance psychology person for BMC, a world tour professional cycling team. And and the folks that you see on the TV and the Tour de France and and, and, when you, and you think, oh, they've surely they're at the top of their game. And when you talk to them behind closed doors, you find that they have exactly the same thoughts and feelings as an age grouper does or someone who's starting out for the first time. They might have more experience to draw on and have developed more coping skills, but they still fundamentally worry about very similar things. And that doesn't seem to in any way dependent on how good you are, meaning how fast you are or how talented you are. It's sort of is a, it's a kind of a, a feature of the human experience.
1: That is interesting. So it's obviously then the tools that you learn, which can change your experience, as you've been saying. So in the brave athlete, what, um, can you share maybe a couple of strategies or techniques that we can start to practice?
0: Absolutely. So one one actual one one strategy that's really sort of a a bit the the, the most um, kind of a, a quite a wide reaching a strategy that has quite wide reaching effects is this notion of of developing an alter ego. <laughs> now. Thinking of yourself in the third person uh, is, is quite a, a powerful therapeutic tool in psychology. And it's been used for years and years about, you know, so what would you say to yourself if you were sat there or, you know, when they do it with kids, you talk to the finger puppet and, and so on. And, and, that, and that approach is really powerful because it forces you to detach the experience of you in your life from thoughts and feelings that you have. It's kind of that sounds like kind of a real mind bending concept to get your head around. But, but in essence, what you're doing is you're saying, I don't have to be, become or, or live as the, the, the thoughts and feelings that I'm currently having. And many athletes feel so overwhelmed by all of the baggage that they have and all of the issues that they have. And we say, well, why don't you just for this moment, just fake it? And, and when you are, when you ask people to fake it, so in other words, we're saying, you know, think of the attributes uh, that you would like to have that you may not have at the moment. Or think of a character that embodies what you would like to be like and just put that skin on for a while and see how it fits. And you and this is really what acting is. Right. And so and it's incredibly powerful. And now with new neuroscience uh, uh, studies in. For example, functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI studies, we've been able to, and also uh, blood studies, we've been able to show that different levels of neurotransmitters in the brain change when you fake things. So when you actually act a certain way that is inconsistent with the real you, so you perhaps, it might be in your body language, it might be how you smile, or it might be how you walk, and testosterone changes, cortisol drops, dopamine increases, serotonin goes up, and this happens after two or three minutes. And if it's really convincing uh, you you act, people on the outside don't even know that that's not the real you and and we know people make a living out of this, and it's called professional acting <laughs> but what Le- Leslie does this as a, as, a, as an athlete she she races under an alter ego, not as herself
2: yeah, you know and, and and for me, it obviously came from my acting background. I realized I looked around me and felt like Leslie, the athlete was you know sort of scared and timid and nervous, and I needed to try and adopt some of the attributes I felt I needed to race effectively so I started looking around at you know videos and pictures and people that inspired me and I and I came up with a uh, uh, my alter ego, who is called Paddy McGinty, and Paddy is uh, an Irish MMA fighter, think Conor McGregor type. Um, and so she yeah, tattoos. Yeah.
0: Not <laughs> very pleasant right. to be married Damn to. Damn right, for the Ta- yeah. tats all over,
2: man. <laughs> um, but like, I actually started to adopt some of those behaviours. You know, the stance, how I would clench my fists, how I would look, a lot of things like that. That just actually altered. Uh, you know how I thought and felt, and and, and so I can yeah, yeah.
0: talk talk about
2: top down versus bottom up.
0: Well, and- what was interesting is that Leslie, you can't see it, but she's like five foot nothing and a hundred pounds. You know, four, what's that in kilos? Yeah. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. um, for forty five kilos, and so standing on the line with professional female triathletes, many of them who are like Amazonian shoulders, you know, they're these perfect specimens, and there's little Leslie who walks in, and you look around, and and it's quite. You know, normal to think, "Oh my God, I am going to get my ass smacked today by these people." So, so having a character that enables you to walk a bit taller and have this kind of fierceness, and she's actually known. We we did a talk a couple of months ago, and an athlete, a pro triathlete, who who uh, uh, if you're a pro triathlete, you may know her. But she came up to Leslie after the talk and said, "Oh my God, I always thought you were a total bitch." You know, when she saw it races or in races, because she'd only ever seen that sort of identity that she put on to get through it. And That's didn't know good. that she was actually, yeah, yeah, yeah a little but, bit.
2: You know, I started doing this and, of course, came home to sign. He described to me about sort of the the, the, the top down yeah. um, bottom up sort of theories
0: behind. Yeah. yeah so, so the most in a, in a nutshell, the most sort of common psychological model that psychologists use is that thoughts influence feelings, influence behavior. It's like a trickle-down effect. That's why a lot of psychotherapy begins with changing the way that you think, because that ultimately changes how you feel and that'll influence how you act. But we now know because of these fMRI studies and, and studies in cognitive neuroscience that you can reverse engineer that process. We never knew that until about five or 10 years ago so that you can actually this is the faking it till you make it. So if you exude the behaviors that you want and you do it for long enough, eventually emotional and cognitively, you come around to that state. And biochemically, you come around to that state as well. And so this is really what an alter ego is doing. It's hacking uh, the fact that you can, by faking it, you can actually um, you can actually have those changes. So for example, one real simple thing that you can do for people who are plagued by negativity or plagued by self-defeating thoughts is we say, listen, what I want you to do, one of the best positive behaviors that you can do is smile. and And in fact, the studies on smiling have been really interesting so when you ask people to smile you know serotonin goes up and doping goes up and cortisol drops and and they've even done studies psychologists like when you hold a pencil above your top lip and we ask you to smile i know psychologists have actually studied this believe it or not um when you do this you can't physically smile but you you're trying to smile you don't get those same neurochemical changes uh, and, i just tried and, to do
1: it and drop my pen <laughs>
0: that's right and, and, converse, and i could feel you doing that and conversely when you have people who have both. Tox, um, where you know, and it gives you kind of a permanent grin <laughs> if it's done poorly. Um, then that in- induces mood change, your mental health changes through these biochemical pathways because it's activating, albeit paralysing in certain form, these muscles that are to do with a positive facial expression. So when we ask triathletes who are negative, say, look, what I want you to do, even if it's through gritted teeth and you don't feel like that inside. Smile, uh, congr- uh, thank the volunteers or marshals or smile as as athletes pass you or you pass them or congratulate them. And and getting you into that mindset by faking the behavior is really powerful. So faking it till you're making it, it till you make it is now an evidence based statement. And so that's really that's something simple that we can all do uh, uh, in our everyday lives, not just in sport.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's some really, really good tips. And obviously, Beyonce has her alter ego, Sasha Fierce, and I'm sure there are many other examples. Do you guys know of more? Well, Uh,
2: you know know what's funny, though, is I think a lot of people just naturally do it in their everyday lives to a certain extent, right? Whether it's being a mother or uh, being a wife or being a business owner or being a podcast host, right? You know, you wear your little hats, um, and you kind of jump into a different character. So to a certain extent, most people actually do a lot of this already. Uh, we are just taking it to the next level.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, in our book, what we do is we have this alter ego development kit. And so we it's a combination of strategies and techniques they use in acting in combination with the psychological science. Um, and you actually flesh out these characteristics and develop a personality and a name. For this person, it doesn't mean that you have to have an associative personality disorder, but it it does mean that you think about it and you embody it and say, They have this phrase called embodied cognition. That's really what the the psychological phrase or term for all this kind of stuff is. And it's incredibly powerful, but you won't find it in any sports psychology textbook. And I only even got interested in it because Leslie in her acting training would tell me. And so we talked about the psychology of it and said that this is a really useful skill for athletes to have. And when we talk to folks and some of them, again, they don't really think in those terms. Yeah. But when I actually go out onto onto the pontoon or when I'm out, you know, uh, a a lot of teachers are like this and they have to teach to high schoolers or whatever. And they say, yeah, I kind of I'm putting on a facade. So I, I develop some thick skin. They're already doing it. They just haven't thought about it in those ways and systematically engineered it so that it's a little bit like a mental comfort blanket going into these situations.
1: Yeah, right. So I think people will probably learn from this conversation that they can then take those next steps to develop it like Leslie has and so on, so that it can really help them on race day or when they have those thoughts and feelings that they don't want to have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Another strategy, yeah, I'll, oh, I'll go on for bloody hours here, Steph, <laughs> sorry about this, but another strategy, it's a really good one, and then Leslie used it for, to cope with an injury. It's called chimp purging, we call it and what this means is that you that you know the common wisdom for dealing with negativity is is you know to to not listen to it and reject it and you know that the kind of the positive psychology cliche of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm strong, I'm confident, I know I can, I know I can. And and we know that fucking never works. Because anyone who's tried it, you know, they they don't believe it uh, and and it never seems to have we've never met anybody that's able to do it uh, to the so they can suddenly, you know, convert themselves into a whole new identity or or a a mindset. And so what we recommend with chimp purging is to say, listen, what you want to do is become the one of the skills of chimp management is to become really in tune with the kind of crazy talk that your chimp is giving you. And so a chimp purge is you let your chimp rant at you uninterrupted uh, until it runs out of things on its mind, and so this and and this, and you have to make it last for at least two or three minutes, and it usually goes on for up to ten or fifteen minutes, and you know when it 's run out of things to say because it start you start to say the same things over and over again, or you just run out of horrible things to say and if you If you only do it for thirty seconds or so you 've just given yourself the the shittiest self talk ever, so the goal of this is to exhaust your chimp. And in actual fact, and this isn't all, uh, you know, there's some some good evidence, scientific evidence behind this. And what's happening in your limbic system is that when you do this and you do it so that you don't interrupt it and you know that you're interrupting it with your professor brain when you say things like, oh, I know it's silly to think this. I know I know this is not really going to happen, but you're rationalizing it if you just let the chimp flow oh my god i'm so, i 'm going to come last out of the water everyone 's going to be laughing at me and looking at me. what the hell do they think they 're doing there? I mean, look at them in their fat how fat they're chunky in their in their race suit they got no business being out here you don 't even deserve a coach. What are you doing you know and on and the nonsense, and on and on you let it you let it go. And so what's happening is it once it starts to and it, again, typically takes about three to 15 minutes. But once you run out of things to say, blood flow to your limbic system drops, which means that this working less is thinking because that's where our fear center is uh, also our pleasure and pain centers. And what happens is that it kind of calms down. And we all know we've all experienced this in our everyday lives by if you've ever had a, a very a heated emotional argument and you've been crying or you and 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 what you do you kind of you stop crying because you get exhausted with crying you cry your way out the other end and what you're doing is really what we call chimp purging you're exhausting your limbic system's initial reaction and because when it doesn't materialize and when it doesn't get confronted that that won't happen from your professor brain because that will just make your chimp even angrier and more confrontational when it doesn't materialize you actually feel a little bit lighter, you walk a little bit lighter, and so what we say is when you pull up to a race or you 're about to do something important, ask for a pay raise or give a talk in public before you get out of the car, you just spend that time ranting, and some people write it down so you don 't look like a total crazy person, but you 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 rant out loud and let it go and let it go, and then you close the door and then go on with what you 're going to do and it sounds totally R- silly, I I, I I acknowledge that. But when you do it, it feels incredibly liberating. And and you walk a little bit lighter when you do it. And Leslie yeah. just has had an injury. And she she did this. And it really helped oh, yeah. her get through it.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy, actually, because I didn't even know I was doing it. But I just kind of lost the plot for a full day. And just it was like I was crying the whole time. You know, I've got a lot at stake with this. So it just, yeah, I just fell apart. I was... You know, I just had a blowout on the couch with sigh. just, you know, every inner demon came out in about 10 minutes. And then the next day I woke up and I felt so much better and I just kind of moved on.
0: And, and, and I think that if Leslie would have spent, you know, 10 days being moderately pissed off versus one day being, you know, catastrophic and catatonic, then it would have served a very different purpose. So you can almost purge that stuff from you by in- wallowing it and indulging in it rather than trying to fight it. And that's a really important Important lesson I think for all of us
1: yeah I think that's a really interesting point like I wonder about the way those thoughts would actually make you feel initially though because obviously when you think negative often for some people it can be like quite either exhausting and it certainly has that impact on your physiology so I can see why it would you know sound almost contradictory initially
2: And you've got to do it long enough. You know, you can't just do it for a couple of minutes or not even a couple of minutes Sorry, like, you know, for a couple of sentences. You've got to go to town on this shit, you know.
0: (laughs) And it's so counterintuitive to what you think would be effective, what you think would be effective. Sorry, let's just phone run. Um, What you think would be effective. And so... um, And, and, you know, if you look at the positive psychology movement or uh, there's nothing like this that would ever be be sort of advocated, but it has some good evidence behind doing it. And what we say is, listen, try it. Uh, But don't don't take our word for it. Try it the next time you're in one of these situations. Give it a go and then see how you feel afterwards. And I think that, you know, once you've got over that initial, you know, because you're recognizing that it's not the real you that's doing the talking, you're letting your chimp, this kind of primitive, primordial part of yourself, ramp its illogical nonsense. Because So you're not really sort of taking ownership of it. You're just like letting the, the two-year-old have a tantrum in the supermarket rather than trying to fight it and say, I'm going to come back when they've stopped crying.
1: <laughs> that's a great analogy. So is there anything else you wanted to share with us about the brave athletes?
2: Um, No, just that I think it goes beyond sport, right? And it Mm -hmm. it goes into pretty much every application of life. And sport is just the forum to kind of investigate some of these issues that are going on in our worlds.
0: Yeah, and one thing I will say is that on the the, the 14th of November, uh, uh, the audio book comes out because uh, we 've recorded it, Leslie and I have, have read the chapters, which will be is funny for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And um, so, you know, uh, folks who as well, we're trying to appeal to the lifestyles of busy people as well. And so if you can't get the print book or you read it on a Kindle is that you can listen to it for those long trainer sessions in, you know, when you're in in, the, in your garage or something or, or running or so on. So our audio book comes out uh, as well soon. And we're hoping that also gives people another way to kind of experience and use some of these strategies in real time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure it's something that you need to come back to a number of times, so it will be a great resource to have on hand. Yeah. (laughs) Careful. Awesome, guys. Before we finish up, direct our listeners to where they can learn more about you guys online, and um, I'll pop everything in the show notes for people that want to find out more.
2: Yeah, so they can go to our website, braveheartcoach.com, and that has a bunch of info on us. um, And also, as well, if you are an athlete, you can uh, fill out one of our smog tests, which is basically you you fill out a bunch of questions and then I'll call you up and have a wee chat about your exercise, what's going on in your sort of health and fitness world, you know, no strings attached.
1: Yeah, awesome. All right, that sounds excellent. I'm sure there'll be many people wanting to learn more about that. Awesome. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, guys. It was so great to have you on The Real Food Reel and I look forward to checking out the brave athlete myself.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Cheers, Steph.
0: This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.